30 seconds and counting. Hi, welcome to the Foreigner Podcast. I'm David Rodriguez. Living abroad, one of the things I love the most is the multiple encounters with strangers. But if there is something I always regret, is to not have to spend more time around the people I once shared the road with, listening to whatever advice they have to give or whatever story they want to tell. In this podcast, I talk to friends and strangers whose lives inspired me and others. Through these conversations, I try to learn more about what brought them to this lovely city of Sendai in northern Japan, their experiences, life philosophies, dreams, and ideas. In this first episode, I interview my good friend Emmanuel Dancer. He is from Nigeria, he's doing his PhD here in Sendai in mathematical biology, and he's simply one of those people that it's almost impossible not to smile and feel optimistic when he's around. We talk about lots of different things, from how the year of National Youth Service ended up becoming a great part of the foundation for his ambitions and future plans, to education, the importance of perseverance and doing good with the things we learn, and how he applies his philosophy of simplifying apparently complex things to almost every aspect in life. I hope you will enjoy this conversation, and without further ado, please enjoy the future United Nations Secretary General, Emmanuel Dancer. Manuel, thank you. Good morning. Uh, thank you for, <laughs> for being here and for being happy to um, participate in this. It's my pleasure. Uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun and hopefully for the people listening, it will be fun as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have, as I said, a lot of topics that I wanted to cover. So let's see how, how far we can go with the, with the time that we have. Okay. Um, so I've seen that uh, you were born in Badagri, Lagos. Yeah. Yeah. So how was your life growing up? Do you have any like any any special memories that uh, comes to mind? Yes, I think um, going back, I think uh, at age five, for because I was born in Badagri and my uncle was staying there. My uncle, who is a tailor, was staying there, and he just told my mom that because he gave birth to this child where I stay, then this is my son. And I, I want to believe that decision really changed the whole thing about my life up till today because staying with him made a world of difference. So from when I was at five, I just started staying with, with him and somehow I think he was going to spoil me a bit because as a tailor, he had apprentices. So he assigned one of his apprentices to take care of my life, like from when I woke up to when I slept, like I didn't have to touch anything. I think if I had continued like that, it was going to be... I don't know, maybe I would have turned out very spoiled. But when he got married, everything changed. <laughs> Because, like, uh, uh, the uh, my aunt, like, his wife brought in a lot of discipline, a lot of checkmating and all that. Like, I could... Uh, uh, I could uh, now do some house chores and all that. Mm -hmm. Then it looked like it was a wicked thing to do. Like, for on our part, right? But right now, I think it was, I really needed that kind of experience. I didn't have to be the spoiled kid. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. how long were you staying with, with them after he got... Uh, yeah, I, I stayed with him from age five till I left secondary school. Oh, Senior school. Uh, like high school. Okay. Yes. Wow, that's interesting. Really, 
And so if you, you would have to like point out to you one single thing that you, you still apply from those years with your uh, uncle, what, what would it yes, be? Yes, um, um, once he got married, it, it didn't take long before I started doing some house chores, mm-hmm. like washing plates, sweeping and doing all of those things. Yeah. So right now, I find it easier to help my to a bit to like I can do things together with Margaret even in the kitchen like I can clean up the house and all that I think I, that wouldn't have been possible without that kind of experience oh, okay. like because at first it was like I didn't have to do anything but when she came into the picture my uncles I came into the picture I had to do some house chairs and till today I think that that's really helpful now I, I don't have to wait for anyone before I do some things yeah. that of course it, that are domestic and all that and you know in in our climb it's more like the domestic things are for the women but in my case because of that kind of experience i think it's very easy for me to do house chores and all that so i also i've also seen that um so you graduated in in the, correct me if i'm wrong but i think it's yeah, so industrial mathematics yes industrial mathematics and marine engineering right yeah i i left uh Secondary school, that was Badagri Grammar School. I left Badagri Grammar School in 2001. Of course, I would have wanted to go to the university directly, but then it wasn't that easy. So I had to apply for a diploma in marine engineering. So, of course, living, I, I had always loved math, starting from even the primary school. I really was in love with mathematics. But then there was, like, the way... We were thinking then there was no way I would have told someone I was going to study mathematics. It would have looked like you know everybody prefer these professional courses, engineering, sure. law, medicine, and everything. But so because of that, probably if I had decided to study maths directly, I would have gone straight to the university. But because I felt oh yeah, I had these high dreams. I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer or <laughs> anything, something about navigation. So since aeronautical engineering was not easy to come by, so I settled for marine engineering. Even that was not that easy, so I had to do a diploma in it. But while at it, the, the math thing kept recurring. So I discovered, of course, in, in the engineering program, I was really having a nice time, getting the good grades and all that. But I wasn't having the kind of fulfillment I thought I should be having. So, and I felt math was going to give me that fulfillment. So, that really solidified my decision to go ahead to study industrial mathematics. And sincerely, that was one of the best decisions I've ever made. So, you, study you changed to industrial mathematics before finishing marine engineering or you finished? I finished, I got a, a diploma in oh, marine engineering, okay. a two-year diploma in marine engineering. So, then after finishing, I moved to, to get a bachelor's degree in yeah, industrial nice. mathematics. And... Um, so that, that's interesting. So you, you had uh, this, this passion for mathematics, you said, that yes. you, you were always uh, thinking about... I had very excellent maths teachers starting from the primary school. Why do you think that is? Yes, like I think, uh, just like I keep saying, the, for me, the, many people don't like maths because they've not had very inspiring teachers. But in my case, starting from my primary school, called, uh, that was local authority primary school in Najara Badagri, I had... Uh, very excellent teachers like a Ghanaian called Mr. J.K. Godo, that I had another one, Mr. Sagbo. I think he's late now, very painfully. And leaving look, at that school to Badagri Grammar School, I had very excellent mathematics teachers to like Mr. Morua, Mrs. Badunu, Mr. Oyerinde, and quite a number. In fact, we had very good teachers in almost all the subjects. So 
then that really strengthened that continually resolved my love for mathematics then since that time i really was in love with translate like what problems like you have something explained something in english and then you're able to translate it to some mathematical equations i think i started getting fascinated with stuff like that since that time wow that's awesome and um then of course it comes uh teaching and i've heard you saying quite a few times that you're passionate about teaching um and and i'm not sure about this but you also said once to me that you were a pastor back in back in or you were doing some like religious uh yes uh, um okay well let me start from the teaching aspect like um I, i discovered that i was i didn't like people having things complex like um maybe For instance, going back to maths again, a lot of people had these problems with mathematics and everything. And in my case, I didn't have that much problem. So I was feeling, why should people find maths difficult? So I just so from that time, I just had this passion that to to make simple things come. I mean, to make to make complex things simple for people. Yeah. So then that passion translated to almost every other aspect of my life. Like okay, starting from maths to whatever else it is, then. Of course I I grew up in a very strong Christian setting yeah. like I would literally say I opened my eyes in church like uh, recite by a bible then um go for, like we had quizzes and all of those things on the bible and everything and it was quite interesting yeah. so like so I've always had every like I've always been able to combine all of those things together so um, I remember even right from the secondary school I, I was I got very involved in the Christian fellowship at I think I started in the third year like I was literature secretary from there I became general secretary and then president <laughs> like that yeah. then going to uh, my diploma time um, uh, like another, in another part of Lagos in Victoria Island uh, in Federal College of Fisheries and Marine Technology then in that that I had a very allow me to use the word crazy there because I was into a whole lot of things I was into politics, I was into church, like Christian fellowship. Yeah. I was then of course the academic thing. So, I remember as a politician, I was the clerk of the student representative council. Then I was into um an NGO um uh, we had an anti-AIDS club because AIDS was a big deal like in Africa but sure. like maybe maybe it's a bit of going down now right now. But then um as the president the first president of the anti-aids club in the federal college of fisheries and marine technology then i was uh, also general secretary of my fellowship and then there's a joint fellowship of all christian bodies i was also the general secretary of that so like those two years were very very <laughs> crazy wow. indeed okay. so moving from there to the university also i was deeply involved in the nigeria fellowship of evangelical students So starting from year 12, I was assistant general secretary of the fellowship. Then from there, I became Bible study secretary. So I've had, like, as the academics and the uh, Christian thing had been moving on like that. Then at some point, um, after graduation, um, I, I belonged to a church in Akure, Nigeria, called Power and Glory Tabernacle. So at some point, I was ordained as a pastor. Of course, I don't like, to, like, most of the times, many people don't get to find out on maybe until they read it somewhere or something because i just feel just see my life and make your decisions i don't have to put a title on my head so that you think i'm one important so, person the reason why i brought up the yeah. pastor thing is that uh in preparation of this interview i was thinking about the commonalities that teaching and preaching have yeah yeah 
And so I wanted to ask you about that. Like, yeah. do, you, do you also feel that way that, you know, by, by preaching and by communicating to others your beliefs yeah. is sort of like a way of explaining complex things in a simple way? You got it right there. Like, the, the, just like I said, the, I have this, if, you, if you would ask for, for my life philosophy, it would be to make complex things simple. So it, now it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it is mathematics or the Bible. Looking at maths, you know, a lot of complexities. Everybody seems to agree that maths is one very complex thing. Then going to back to the Bible, to, like if you look out there, you see a lot of people who claim to, to, to believe in the Bible. They are, maybe there are some of the people that are even making our world worse right now. But I really think that if the, the Bible can be applied the right way, then I think we'll have a better world. We, but what we have mostly now is more like something like an organized religion, and that hasn't really helped a lot. But I believe that what the Bible basically teaches is for one to have this organic, a dynamic relationship with God, that, such that your life is guided by this word. So I'm committed to actually making people see that this Bible thing or this Christianity thing is not as complex as you think. It's just about for like keeping... The, the commandments of God and they are not and they are not mystical they are not mysterious they are just very simple things so I th so just like you said there's this common thing about teaching and preaching and it's about making whatever people think is so complex making it very simple I see and so coming back to teaching yeah. and combining it with uh, your life philosophy of making complex things look simple yeah what would be one of the first things that you would change in, you know, in, in the current educational ecosystem or the way, the common way things are, are taught in universities and in schools and so on to make it more, more appealing to a lot of the students, not only in the, like in the field of mathematics, but, you know, uh, I've seen that at least the, with, with the, I don't know, the, the part of, of the educational system that I've been involved with. Okay. I feel that the world has evolved faster than the educational system has been able to, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to catch up. So in many ways, I've seen uh, a lot of young students uh, finding new ways of doing things yeah. and new ways of learning uh, and new ways of earning a living that do not translate very well to what is happening inside yeah, classes I, and lectures and all that. Uh, so, what are those things that you think could make, um, you know, education better or, in this case, uh, easier to understand? Just as an example, like, if, if you find someone saying, you know, I, I'm not interested in, in, in keep learning more stuff that I may you know, find useful in my everyday life, how would you convince that uh, student to, to keep in inside the educational system keep improving or keep studying yeah i think first of all um from a lot of discussions i've had with some of my friends about education i had to come up with a particular a def, my definition of education which may not be the conventional thing for me i believe that education is to be able to read to write and to get information that can transform your life and transform society so If you're, not, if you're able to get that in the university or outside the university, I don't care. 
so it, it, for me education does not necessarily have to be going to the just like <laughs> all of us have been doing like you go to the primary school go to the secondary school go to the university or maybe have a diploma like i did and then go for masters now doing a phd for me education doesn't necessarily have to be like that i feel people can be educated without having to go through the formal this the whole formal thing because the fact is this our society is better today because of the input of many people we need the carpenters as well as we need the professors we need the plumber as well as we need um the doctors the lawyers and all of those people so for society to really be good we need a holistic approach to education which is not all about getting diplomas getting certified and all of that all the even the technicians and all of those things education at all those levels should be very very important that that people are able to read right get information and be able to apply the information to their own lives to make their lives better and to make this society better so coming back to the formal education thing i think we must have to talk about that because we can't erase that i think we have to be more uh i see some kind of rigidity especially in my uh, in africa like where i come from it's very difficult for maybe now i study because i've studied maths all the way and now my PhD is in mathematical biology. I think I should be able to go back to Nigeria and probably say I want to, I want to switch from maths to biology. But the system is so rigid that probably it is difficult for so, someone in maths to even switch to statistics that is that close. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe it's easier in a place like this, like in Japan and some other countries. I think it's a, a bit easier. You can leave maths and go to economics or leave economics and go to engineering or something maybe it's a bit easier but i but generally i think there should be the 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 curriculum should be constantly reviewed to 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 cope with current realities and that's why what is happening in finland is very radical like it's so interesting that they're coming up with some very radical ideas about education that and, and i think you just touching one of the points that i always point out which is the Um, lack of, of flexibility that, yes. I, that I see in most educational systems. Exactly. Um, so, t- talking about this, do, do you think that the current educational system is helping students learn how to obtain information in order to uh, improve society? Well, uh, using myself as an example, um, I want to believe that most of the information, like, okay, f- like right from primary school, There was this quest for knowledge beyond the classroom setting. So I remember back then there's this uh there's this chewing gum that um I think it is called sword or something like that. They had questions like they'll tell you what is the capital of let's say Finland. Mm-hmm. And then we turn it around you see the answer Helsinki. So right from that time i had this passion to just know something about everything be it music sports or something like that to the point i had some notebooks where i was able to compile these questions and answers like that and of course another thing that really helped that was we had to represent the school in quizzes and debates so we needed to know things be way beyond the classroom now maybe some people do not probably have that kind of experience but i think it is something that should really be encouraged just because i study maths doesn't mean that when i see a lawyer i can't say basic things yeah but th- but that's that's one of the things that i that i i don't know i find th- 
that the educational system is lacking, apart yeah. from the flexibility exactly. that I already mentioned, is the, the the capacity of, I would say, like someone to follow that that he or she finds interesting in that specific moment. That is yeah. very hard. Like you find this, and now it's changing. At least, for example, what I what I am familiar with, like uh, back in the time when I was in the university, the the like careers. Uh, like engineering yeah. were very long ones like five years yeah. with a final project uh which could like usually last for seven years like it took me seven years to graduate uh which is a very long time mm-hmm. now they're, they 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 changed that now you have like four and three years degrees yeah. where may, maybe they give you which maybe they give you more more like flexibility to to realize okay now i'm more interested in in like biology and not yeah. in mathematics and I went to do something in that field yeah. and I feel like I wanted to get uh, like um, an official education in, in biology then I will do another another degree if I have the chance yeah. and, and of course this is completely different like if you look um, to to the US where it's so expensive to get yeah. to the university then then it's a different story but what I'm familiar with which is the educational system in Spain where you have um, you know public institutions that you can go and they're becoming a lot of them they're becoming quite expensive even yeah. though they are they are backed by the government but uh but in any case um i think that that's a very interesting topic and and it's an it's a, it's a topic open for for discussion and i think that young people like like you who has that like passion for teaching could do very good things in that field in promoting like you know what now people are learning in a different way yeah. everything moves faster now yeah. and if Today I'm interested in biology. Tomorrow I may be interested in mathematics, mm-hmm. and I need to have a system that is capable of encouraging students in following whatever path they find interesting, yes. and and also teach them to do meaningful things with that information, which I think is a key thing that you exactly. that you point out. Um, so you graduated, and then Japan comes in, okay. right? Yeah. Is more or less the the idea. Uh, but I heard you saying in a previous interview that that it took you like five years uh, of applying like for phd degrees in different places so yeah correct me if i'm wrong but so you like you not only applied in in, in japan you applied in like in the us france and another everywhere yeah. yes so uh then why japan was it that was the only place that provide provided you with the like, funding or was like you were really interested in 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 coming to? Um, I think I was just interested in any way I could get quality education and funding because there's no way I would have been able to afford this level of education, sure. um, like with my family background or anything like that. Like, do you want to hear the lo- the long story or just one? I'm, I'm all in for the long story. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, like you know, I did industrial mathematics in Federal University of Technology Akure, Undo State, Nigeria, and graduated in 2010. Now in Nigeria, there's this one year of com- uh, mandatory national youth service. Like you go to like most 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 of the time you're posted to another part of the country and you've probably not been to or that you're not used to, so I, the idea is to to cause some kind of integration in the country. Like if I understand your culture, like it's easier for me to relate with you. Then we can all see ourselves as Nigerians and because how long is that? Is just that a year. One year. Yeah. Okay. So Nigeria has this diverse ethnic groups and all that. For instance, I speak Ogu. And my wife speaks Yoruba, like 
two different languages. Well, of course, I'm able to speak a language because it's more like it's uh, something that is predominant in our region. But she cannot speak my language. I have to start. I, so I'm, I'm having to teach her right now. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so it's that interesting in Nigeria that you have between 250 and 400 ethnic groups different languages, different cultures and stuff like that. So uh, the government felt it would be fine that if be, if maybe someone like me could go to the northern part, I'm from the southwest, so I go to the north. So for instance, I did my one-year service in Katsina State, which is in the northwestern part of Nigeria. Different cultures, different ways of life and everything, and that was it. So during that time, and I've always had this very high aspiration, like I, I've always been very ambitious, that like if you from the other interview you were referring to for instance I remember, remember mentioning it that while I was in high school and then internet was not that like common as it is now and we had to I remember I had to travel from Badagri to a place called Agbara like th- like 30 or 45 minutes by bus just to browse for like overnight so but then while each time I'm preparing to do that, I, I, I discovered I needed to like document ideas that were coming to my, to, to, into my mind. So I had this notebook and ideas would just keep coming and I'll just write them down. Okay, I need to know about this. I need to know about that. So I remember one day just walking and this thought just flashed in the, okay, this, the UN Secretary General at that time was Kofi Annan. And I was like, well, how did that Ghanaian get <laughs> to that kind of position? Like, like at least I I can really easily relate with him that he's an African like me like and Ghana and Nigeria have some very close ties. I'm like, how did he get there? So I had to write that down. That okay, next time I go to check the internet, I'm going to find out that. So I went online the next time I went and I discovered, man, I, I don't think it's it's that it's really beyond me. Maybe it's not easy, but he had just like me, he had his first degree in Nigeria. But then, of course, he had his master's in the U.S. I had my master's in Nigeria and all that. So things like that were really driving me. So while I was uh, doing that one year of mandatory national service, I already knew that, okay, after, since I didn't want, I did not even want to do my first degree in Nigeria, so I felt, okay, now the first degree is done, right? No more, nothing more in Nigeria. So during that one year, I, I applied to, I was just checking the internet. Now, internet was more common at mm-hmm. that time. So, at least on your phone, you could... I had a phone that could access the internet whenever. So, then I was... So, I, ha- I subscribed to some scholarship sites where I could get notifications anytime there was an opportunity. So, I just stumbled on this uh, Clarendon Fund in Oxford University that the scholarship comes with admission. Once you, you get admitted into Oxford, you probably have the Clarendon Fund. I don't know what it is like now. Talking about 2011, 2012... So I went for that. I applied for it and I was really hopeful it was going to come out good. So I think shortly after the youth service, I had an interview on phone with the two professors from Oxford University. Interestingly, by the time the letter came to Wounds, we are sorry to inform you. (laughs) So that was a bit... Okay, yeah, before then, even the one year of youth service, I did not want to go because I felt I was going to be wasting my one year. Why should I waste one year when I can probably just go straight? So because of that, then from high school, I, dis- I developed this 
Okay, I just discovered I have I just love to study languages. So even in high school, I studied French and I did it at the final examinations. Mm-hmm. So there was this point I was so much in love with France that I even felt I was going to marry a French person. <laughs> so, but so by the time I finished the first degree, I did not even want to go for one, that one year of youth service. Mm-hmm. And along the line, as I was checking the net, I discovered Paris Graduate School of Mathematical Sciences. So, I, which was going if I had been admitted, I would have studied in three universities. In in France, like uh, University, Pierre Marie Curie, UPMC, then I think Paris Diderot and Dauphin. I, I don't know what that, maybe if I go that right. So, but then now by the big, I finished 2010, right? And I was supposed to go for the National Aid Service in 2011. And the result of Paris Graduate School of Mathematical Science was going to come March 2011. So, as at January, February, I wasn't sure what it was either I was going to Paris or I was going to youth, for youth service. So sometime in March, the result came. Only 10 people were, were to be selected all over the world, and I did not make the list. I was like, okay, so I have to go serve. And interestingly, that, the one year of service ended up being one of the best years of my life because it was a year I really had to reflect on so many things. I met some new people. I learned a new culture of Northern, the culture of Northern Nigeria, at least to some extent. And of course, of the, the hope was on still like, okay, now during that one year, I applied to Oxford, I had an interview. I did not make it again. So, sorry to interrupt you, sorry. but what 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 um what types of things were you reflecting on during that year? Yeah, like that. I I can't always have my like um the fact that I want something doesn't mean that I automatically get it. I may have to wait a bit longer, and while waiting. I don't have to shut down my life. I have to keep making progress in whatever ways. Then it was really a time to really uh, shape up myself in the sense that, like, get ready for whatever it is. Like, keep at it. Keep, like, um, uh, no matter what happens, keep keep your dream alive. Don't allow your dream die. Mm -hmm. Then even, I think, uh, one thing that really helped in all of those processes too was... The fact that my Christian faith, I can, I think I should, I, I need to refer to that because ma- many people have issues and probably they don't know how to let it out and they end up uh, with some kind of habits or some, some people even end up with suicide and all that. But for me, I was, I felt terrible at some point. I felt like I wasn't making progress and all that. But I also knew that uh, my times are in God's hands and he has a way of, he ha- his time is the best he has a, a schedule. Maybe I forgot to tell you. So before I got admitted into the university, I had to write. I had to wait for five years, like writing the entrance exam. Like in Nigeria, we have this exam called the university matriculation examination. Mm-hmm. I wrote it for like five times or something before I got in. Fine, I kept passing for the basic degree for like a for basic degree. degree yeah. Oh, wow. So th- that was even one of the reasons I had to go for a diploma first, since the university thing wasn't coming. In Nigeria, the system is a bit different, yeah. so I had to just so already those five years I already was used to having to wait for a long time for things to happen. Patience. I always struggle yeah. with that so much. Exactly. <laughs> so I think one one thing I really learned in all of those processes is patience and patience. When like when it looks when when it all looks bleak and all that like can still wait and keep trying, not giving up. Just so I had to write the exam like five times or 
yeah five times before i really got in so now it's like another face is getting repeated like okay now i'm having to having to go abroad i started i didn't want to study for first degree even in nigeria right so let me say the ambition to go abroad to study started around 2000 2001 so fine how old were you i was uh, born in 1982 so in 2001 i was 19 so probably i wanted to go up like abroad at, as early as when I was 18, 19, like the uh, already started having that. But of course, the, because of the financial situation and all that, that couldn't happen because then I was already getting a lot of prospectuses from universities abroad. Like I remember in particular, I was passionate about going to study aeronautical engineering, like I told you, mm-hmm. and I stumbled on this school called Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Florida. Then of course, there was also this school, Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, like being the, I was at, at some point I was timekeeper or was I assistant timekeeper in my high school. So one of my duties was to check to get meals and give them to students. So one of those times, like somebody, a mail was sent to one of my seniors, and I just saw something like Washington University in Saint Louis. So that just so from there I began to search the internet. I began to write mm-hmm. schools and everything. Like if we get to my house in my diary, I have all of those perspectives from all over the world. I think <laughs> I think I'm really digressing, right? Like back to youth service. So. Paris Graduate School was gone. Oxford is gone. So it's like, how do I go again? <laughs> so what? just like I said the other time, while waiting for what you really want, I think people should make, should keep making progress no matter, in how, no matter how little the way in which they can make it. So when the old master's things wasn't working out, I discovered probably I have to, I have to just do master's again in my university. Because uh, after the youth, one year, mm-hmm. I was... I was uh, uh, given a job as graduate assistant in the department I graduated from. So while a graduate assistant, I kept on with my master's degree. But even at that, you know, there's still that passion. I, so from there, I just started applying all over the place. <laughs> in Germany, for instance, I had a, quite a couple of applications at Berlin Mathematical School. Maybe I applied there like twice or thrice. Born <laughs> International Graduate School in Mathematics, I applied there a couple of times. Austria, there's this Institute of Science and Technology, Austria, Vienna, I applied there a couple of times. Italy, name it Padova, <laughs> Turin, Polytechnico, all those, all several those schools, places, UK. Yeah. And all of that. So, in fact, I got a couple of admissions. I, like, I got admitted in the University of Loughborough in the UK. No funding. I got admitted at the University of Technology Malaysia. I thought I would get a local fund from Nigeria, but it didn't come through. I got admitted at the University of Newfoundland, Canada. I got a bit of funding, but that wouldn't help anything. Mm. Then I got admitted to... There's this very good program in uh, Portugal, uh, jointly hosted by University of Porto and Coimbra. I got admitted, but I did not make the funding. I think I was second to the last on the list of people who could get funding. So I ended up two people to reject the offer for before I could get funding. But of course, I think that would be difficult. <laughs> so I think uh, that's for... Right? I even got admitted. I got an offer for admission at the Washington State University. In Puma, Spokane, USA. No funding, also. A friend of mine was even there trying to pull some strings to see if I could get funding, but it didn't work. Now, the before, before the Japan thing even happened, I think the, the peak of it was my, one application I made to the University of Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. It was it looked very good. Like by the time the final shortlist was available, so like sixty-seven, a list of sixty-seven people was uh, was uh, was made and. Any of those 67 people mm-hmm. could get admitted depending on the funding the university had. Interestingly, okay. my friend was number one on the list okay. because he, I think he had some very good publications that, that time. I was number four on the list. Mm-hmm. So 
And at the end of it, or probably because of the funding situation there, maybe the first two or just the first were picked, and that was painful. <laughs> I was very, like, I was hoping that was just it. But then after that happened, I just had this assurance in my heart that, well, maybe I didn't get that, but something better was definitely going to come. And not quite long, the the thing about J- Japanese uh, Mech scholarship came up, mm-hmm. and because in my university back in Nigeria, quite a number of people have been through the scholarship. And there's this uh, professor of mine, an academic mentor professor, Babatunde Rabiu. He's uh, a physics person, and he's been to uh, Japan a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So there was this time a Japanese professor was coming to my university to give a talk about a satellite project Japan and some five African countries were working on. So I just wanted to attend, despite the fact that I was not in mathematics thing per se. So somehow I got, I saw him again after some time, and before I knew it, he linked me up with a former Max scholar who was a, who was a faculty member in food science and technology, Dr. Badijo. So I got to that one. He linked me up with a guy that was in Tsukuba at that point in time, who was who is now a doctor back in the university, also in the University of Industrial Design. So somehow the whole thing went like that. I applied and went through a very the Japanese screening process <laughs> and interestingly which we will talk about in exactly. just a minute so, uh, it, for, for, for 2017 eight of us were picked from Nigeria out of like 450 people or so wow. that applied and interestingly I was one of them if I get serious wow <laughs> what so uh, before so before jumping into Japan yeah how was the the I don't know the self-talk on and the, the so what things were come into your mind when you were getting all those rejections okay. and you were just like, I'm going to keep sending applications. You know, it's, it's, I think that most people will just give up yeah. in that situation, you know, like even myself, I will be like, oh, you know what? I tried this. Uh, it's just not working out five years. Yeah. Uh, that's like not even like five, five weeks. I will, I will, yeah. I will probably find myself pushing that hard. So you need, I don't know, the way, the way I probably see it is that you need to have a, like a very deep sense of, of commitment and passion of what you want to accomplish. Yes. That's, uh, and I think you have that, you have a very driven character and I think that anyone that talks to you for like a few minutes see that. Um, uh, so I'm just curious to, to hear from you, like what, what were you thinking back then when you were getting all those letters, uh, rejection letters and you, yeah. you know, they were just like, I'm going to keep pushing. Yeah, just just like I told you, I had this very serious ambition right from secondary school. One of the things I wanted to be was maybe still is. I don't know if, how that's going to work with the United Nations Secretary General. <laughs> Each time I tell people that, it's like, hmm, how are you going to do that? I don't know too. <laughs> but I just, I, I just feel that, like, I, I think I read some some books mm-hmm. back then like I, I've been influenced a lot by people like Miles Monroe reading Miles Monroe Ben Carson and um, yeah I think those two guys really had a lot of influence on me like that you should have a big dream and all that sometimes I have very insane dreams <laughs> do, you, like, do you remember the title of those books? yes I, I think the, the, the uh, Miles Monroe's books on purpose all the series like the, the okay. Discovering uh, your potentials, rather, uh, discovering your potentials, understanding your potentials, maximizing your potentials, the burden of freedom, all those by Miles Monroe, they were really very helpful. Then Ben Carson, Gifted Hands, uh, Gifted Hands, The Big Picture, 
Then also, uh, there's this one I read not quite long. The taking something about risk, taking risks, mm-hmm. th- something okay. like that. Okay. So fine. All those times I was get really getting those rejection letters. I think I had, I had this funny thinking too that if you want to be a carpenter, be the best you can ever be. True. If you want to be what it is like, what is it? Anything. No matter what it's, what, no matter what you want to be, if you want to be a shoemaker, be the best of shoemakers. For instance, I, I tell, I jokingly tell people that if you want, if, if you are, for example, a shoemaker, you should be able to attend the International Conference of Shoemakers <laughs> in, in Colombia, wherever it's holding, something like that. So I also believe that since I've discovered that I should, I, I want, really want to be a teacher, it doesn't matter what I had studied, probably if I had studied medicine or law or anything, I would have ended up being a teacher. Mm-hmm. So since I want to be a teacher, I need to be a teacher at the very highest level of it. Then I, I think to do that, I also need to get the best of education I can ever get. Fine. Nigeria has given me a lot of platform. Like this with my first bachelor's and master's degrees. Those were the basis for my coming into Japan. So I think that's very important. But I felt I just needed something more. I needed to be more exposed and all of that. So interestingly, by the time I was finishing the Japanese application, I already had the German, the dad scholarship application forms already downloaded on my computer. That Okay, in case... So I got used to having rejection letters. So I just felt, okay... This oh we are so once I just see uh we, we got many uh excellent applications and because of restrictions about funding we are unable to offer you a position this time so I was like oh really again all right next application please <laughs> so I just I, I felt like one thing I keep saying is the only guarantee that you break through is to be to remain stubborn like remain stubborn in the sense that just keep at it no matter what it is just if you if you if you don't give up. The the rejection letters will give up, like <laughs> like they will stop coming. Like one day, and all, what do I even need? I don't need admission to ten schools. I just need one good school, and I'm fine. Yeah. So I think I got that, and that's cool. Like so, I just felt the kind of dreams I had. I needed to get all the exposure I could I could get. So and of course, I even started a PhD program in Nigeria again, like in my in the same university. So I would have ended up getting a PhD. A PhD uh, all the all my three degrees from the same university, but I think in as much as that is fine, but it's also it's better to have to get exposed. Like for instance, I'm meeting you from Spain, yeah. who has been to <laughs> some nice places. I think knowing you too is one of the advantages. Like I've met many people like that. Probably in Nigeria, if I had studied for my PhD back in Nigeria, most likely I wouldn't have this opportunity. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like for me, from from the first time I step out of of my hometown. Yeah. You know, I felt like, okay, this is the place I should be in this moment in time in my life yeah. where I could interact with people from all over the world, people sure. that maybe they have not, you know, they, they have gone through experiences that I couldn't even imagine, like, because, uh, you know, I had such a great life growing up and maybe okay. I, you know, I meet with, I don't know, some some other people from some other places okay. where maybe their childhoods were not that good and that yeah. bright, you know, and, and they share that with you yeah. and uh, find that one of the biggest life lessons or rewards of being in like places outside your, let's say your country or your hometown yeah. is, is those interactions with, mm-hmm. with people coming from all over the world. Yeah. So definitely, I mean, I totally agree with you. In, in yeah, for instance, I think my, my, uh, my love for, okay, like right now I have two passions teaching and diplomacy like working with united nations or bodies like that so 
like going for wanting to do th- something like that i think i need i need to meet as many people as possible from all over the world and know how to think how to see life and all that i think that really helped to shape the way i also see the world and i think that'll be quite useful in all those future endeavors yeah and so then talking about this about different cultures and how dif- people from from different places of the world uh see or experience life in different ways well you you moved to japan and so one of the first questions that i should ask is what do you think about japan or i think a better question will be like what are the things that you find interesting about japan that you that you haven't seen like in in nigeria what all those things that you will you know bring with you when you when you come back and again i can probably mention a few of them so i can save you some time (laughs) all right like for example, I'm, I'm I'm currently writing a a new post for our, for the for the blog, which I title "Understanding the Japanese Mind," okay. and this post is largely based on a book that I'm reading right now, which is "Japanese Mind." It's a book yeah. that was uh, is a compilation of essays written by students from the University of Ehime. If I'm not if I'm not Ehime, uh, okay, yeah, I'm getting that cool. getting that wrong. Yeah. Uh, and so they basically uh, go through like different Japanese terminology, okay. Japanese words, and they explain the meaning of that word wow. and the influence that that word has on the Japanese culture and how Japanese behave. Okay. Uh, but the good thing about that book in particular is that the, the book is written not for foreigners to understand Japanese All culture, right. although it, I think it's one of the best books okay. for that, but it was intended for the Japanese to have sort of like a textbook or a guideline to follow in order to explain to foreigners oh, how they were okay. uh, like. Um, wow, that was a quite a long explanation for what <laughs> I wanted to say. That's okay. But so what in, in reading this book and I'm preparing this this post, one of the things that I am uh, finding myself reflecting is what are the things that I've been living here. We have been living here for 15 months already. Yeah. And if there is one thing, for example, that I will try to apply myself and I will bring with me when I, when I, um, you know, come back to Spain or, or move to a different place okay. is for example, the, um, this sense of like profound gratitude and hospitality that yeah. Japanese has. So they call this omotenashi in Japanese. Okay. And, and I find that everywhere here. Yeah. Like most people relate omotenashi with, with public services and how everybody bows at you and, yeah. and you know, every, everybody's smiling and but I found that in everywhere, you know, in, in, in buildings, in architecture, in, but mostly in personal relationship with Japanese. Uh, so that unselfish uh, gratitude yeah. and to give to others without expecting anything in return, yeah. it's something that I will, that I will definitely, I will definitely remember about the Japanese and I will also try to apply in my own life. Have you, have you found any special characteristics of, of the Japanese that you, haven't seen maybe in, in, in Nigerians, you will say, oh, this is something that I will apply or this is something that I could... Yes, coming here and looking at the whole system, the precision of bus time, train time and all of those things <laughs> and how other things work. I, 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 as usual, my brain got into some kind of overdrive, like why, why do societies thrive? Like I just kept asking myself that question over and over again. Each new thing I see, like you see a, you see a road that maybe by Nigerian standards it's in top shape and you wake <laughs> up the next morning, it has been broken and, refi- and fixed. I'm like, back in my country, we have potholes on roads and maybe until 
so people have accidents there and things, bad things happen. Maybe nobody pays attention to that. I'm like, why do society strive? I think the answer I've got so far is the fact that one life is important enough to do everything possible to save. So, and I think for me, that's more like the idea of human dignity is the basis on which nations thrive. If one citizen is is a, is in danger and the whole nation can stand still to make sure the person is taken out of danger, I think such a nation will thrive. And then that boils down to the fact that, okay, even when I think the road is still in good shape, maybe the people who know better about roads feel, no, this is not the best it can be. Let's let's make it the best because no nobody should have should be involved in an accident on our roads. Now, because of human dignity, we don't want to waste our customers' time or we don't want to leave two seconds earlier, then somebody comes and then the person is not able to to get on the bus or on the train. I, I think you remember uh, there's this story of a company that apologized for leaving 25 seconds too early yeah. and all that. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, why? <laughs> so I, I think sincerely that precision, the precision with which, with which the Japanese system works is really, I, I can't imagine that human beings can do that but now that i have seen it i think it's possible and in in any way possible when i get back to nigeria in any way i can make things like i at least try to do that first of all i think as many people like as i come across i want to, I, I like to let them know that one citizen is is important enough for us to deploy every asset we have to make sure that they are in good shape you see the welfare system for everybody like then another thing i say here again is there's this kind of equality you don't usually get this treatment at least for basic things you need like for instance we stay in a government apartment right now now the fact that you're a foreigner you don't get this treatment that okay because you're a foreigner then you don't get it because i know it that's how it happens in many in some other countries right so here once you deserve something you get it it doesn't matter whether you're japanese or not Mm-hmm. I think that's that's very of course if there's a rule that okay this is only for Japanese I won't do I have what's my problem but the fact that they even go that extra mile to to say okay because you need because probably because you have a kid and this Japanese person has no kid then you deserve it more I think that that really beats my imagination to that yeah. it can be that considerate of people who probably if you don't even go to that extent they are already grateful I think I'm grateful already for for whatever it is that like the opportunity to be here alone and all that so I I, I think um, every country if we can all think like the Japanese in that regard. I think it's very important. And the fact that you work in a place and you want to give your very best. And no no job is beneath anybody. You see, at, back in my country, the, some people feel some jobs are below them. Mm-hmm. So they, they can, you would, for instance, when you say uh, people doing some kind of jobs, they, they say the jobs are menial or something. Yeah. But in this place, you see someone doing the so-called menial jobs with all joy. And that is what makes a society thrive because just like I said the other time, a professor is as it's the person who sweeps the streets is as important as the professor because every every at the end of the day we are all working together for a good for an excellent society. So it doesn't matter what you do, whatever it is you do, give it your best shot. I think that thinking is really very important to take back home. That like yeah. whatever it is I'm doing, even if I think I'm not doing the best thing I think I should be doing, give it your best. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And and also the 
I think that the without talking too much about about this because we can keep talking about exactly. Japanese culture exactly. forever, but um, I think that the the sense of of community and, yes. and social beauty within the group, exactly. I think that's something that Japanese has a lot to say and teach to the rest of the world, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and yeah, and you can see that everywhere now how how people treat. And I think uh, they're also not interested in superstars like. They, they they would rather go for the community that they would rather have everybody doing well together than one person like um they, they really don't like to to say okay this guy is it, I, I, of course we know the should I say it's the pop culture or something we have this culture of having some very exceptional guys and then the yeah. other people are like oh that's an idol that's yeah. this yeah. so as much as possible everybody is like the same no matter what what your attainments are or something yeah yeah so. You moved here with a um, government scholarship, and you also decided to move here with your family. Yeah. Before talking about about family, I want you to listen to two things. I'm going to play a song, and I'm going to give you a message, right. and then we can discuss about that. Okay. okay? Really? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so the the message that I got for you says um, I know I don't say how much I appreciate you and all that you do for us as a family as much as I should Wow I'd like you to know that I truly appreciate your kind support, sacrifice and help always We are blessed to have you in our lives <laughs> So um who is this message coming from? That's from Margaret, my wife. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what type of, of emotions do you feel when you think about family and you think about like, uh, you know, building a family, coming here with, with or thriving as a family? Yeah, I, I think the concept of family, when I think family, I think stability. Mm-hmm. I think like you're out there trying to uh, conduct a research or something and Sometimes you get good results. Sometimes the results aren't so good. Sometimes you don't even get any results or something. And then you get back and like, what is happening? And then someone is there to tell you, don't worry, you'll get the result. Like you remember the other time you had the same issue and then you got over it. I think that's, that gives you some kind of stability in life. Like it's, uh, it's a place where you can come back and be comforted from like all the, all the struggles, all the labor out there. So when I think family, I basically think stability. And I think one of the one of my first projects uh, when I got to Japan, I think in your case it was quite cool that you could come with your wife immediately. For me, I wanted to really do that, but it wasn't that easy. But I think I I I couldn't wait for them to come because I think the best way to concentrate is to have your family right here. Because the, the two and a half months before they came, I had to always find out what is happening, how is everything. So, but now that we're here together, like everybody sees what is happening, and then we're just fine. So, so I think that's so, cool. Yeah. So Margaret, your wife. Yeah. How important has she been in you know the process of you pursuing your dreams yeah. and. Uh, because if I have to look at my case, you know, they they often give up. They don't give up, but they they are capable of, you know, saying yes to whatever stupid plan I, exactly. I you know we come up with. <laughs> yeah. And then not only that, but they are also you know capable of keeping us afloat. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yes. 
how my dad has, has yes. you know. Margaret me. and I were classmates in the university oh, while okay. we're studying for a bachelor's degree in industrial mathematics. So, uh, of course, that was a time I had no form. Maybe I, if you understand what I mean, yes. like I was... <laughs> I was just a guy with a bunch of dreams and, and ambitions. <laughs> if I'm mostly crazy and maybe unrealistic dreams, but somehow she managed to believe in my dreams. And like there was this thing I usually tell her, don't worry, we are going to every country on earth. I don't know, how, I've only been to maybe just four and a half right now <laughs> or something. But like I just kept telling her that. It was looking like some kind of big thing, like how is this going to ever happen? But the, like she, well, we did not start out as friends because I didn't really like her at first and she didn't really like me too. But somehow we discovered that the closer we got, the more like, like the kind of, the, the, my kind of lifestyle is very strange to a typical Nigerian lady, so to speak. Like, of course, there maybe there will be some other people that can still cope with that. But I had this... I was this unconventional guy who, when everybody seems to be going away, I, I want to go in another direction already. Like, I didn't just want to follow you because I, I don't want to go away because everybody is going there. Because I have this way of just questioning things. Which is so important, yeah. Very, I think for me, for me, for my, children, for my children's education, I think one important thing I would want them to do is be able to question things. And anything you're doing, make sure it's because you want to do it, not because somebody forced you to do it. For instance, I remember this funny time. Like, uh, of course, there's this norm of wearing your wristwatch on your left hand. So I was wearing my wristwatch on my left hand. So there was this day I was going on the road. I was like, why do I wear my wristwatch on my left wrist? And... I thought about it and there was no tangible answer. Immediately, I removed the watch from my left wrist and I put it on my right wrist. Like, so that, yeah, yeah. the way some very crazy thoughts come. But then, as a teacher, there was this time I was taking some tutorials and they were still using chalk that could actually, like, have the dust can actually stain. Yeah, yeah. So I discovered when I was teaching, then the dust would affect the wristwatch. And I'm like, okay, now I have a reason to wear my wristwatch on my left wrist. So, so anytime I was going to teach, I would wear it on the left wrist. Anytime I wasn't going to teach, I would wear it on the right. Because I need to have a reason for whatever I do. And now that we have markers and all that, then I can always wear it there and be fine. So I think I, I just like that kind of thing. So now for having that kind of weird personality, so to speak, I think it would have been, it wouldn't have been easy for most people to cope with that. But somehow Margaret was like, maybe she she was able to look at that to that. And I think I, this is fine. And... Of course, I won't do any do any stupid thing, anything that will, that will hurt her and, all, and things like that. So I, just like I said, I had no form and I was just this weird guy with very lofty ambitions. He wants to be UN Secretary General. He wants to be in every country of the world and everything. So uh, somehow she was able to buy into that and we our friendship became stronger and stronger until we are here now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So... I think this is a, a very nice place to um, wrap up this this interview, and okay. I have like tons of things that I wanted to discuss. I'm with ready you, like for you. PAC <laughs> and and more about Japan because I'm pretty sure there are people listening that yeah. that come from from where you come, yeah. and they wanted to um, you know listen maybe a bit more about okay how can I also get that you know okay. how can I get into the Max scholarship, but I think that will be best for a part two episode yeah that's you. fine like i'll be uh, ready for that and so i have just like two last requests okay. for you right. 
the first one will be so in, in well, I haven't said this in during the interview but I said this before we we hit record and is that I wanted to use this podcast to interview people here in Sendai that I find interesting and that I think I can learn a bit more you know I can I can also keep that uh, conversation as a, as a reminder of the time that we have yeah. that we had together and all that so um, is there any person that comes to mind for you that you would like to listen to this type of interview like is there anyone here in Sendai if not then it's, then it's okay but if there is someone that you would say oh there's this person it could be anyone it could be your your senpai or sen, you know a sensei that you have or anywhere any 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 other person try my best to okay like just them. just like just like uh what you have decided to do to like you're doing all this so as to at least have a break from research and all that mm. sometimes so i think i have that kind of mindset too and along the line i think i joined a tufsa at Tokyo University for Students Association so interesting I was part of the organizers of the last TWIF and so it's cool I think um, if you can you can get as many TUFSA members as possible yeah. for this interview that would really be great because those are some guys with open minds who are interested in culture from everywhere maybe you can start with Kia the president of TUFSA I think you have a lot of insights to get from her as a uh, as the president of Tufsa, who I think she studies Japanese culture or something even. So I think she has a lot to tell you about the Japanese way of awesome. thinking and all of those yeah. things from the perspective of a foreigner. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll definitely contact yeah. them and see if she is up to you. Cool, I think she should be able to find time for this. Yeah. She likes things like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you for that. Yeah. And so the last thing I have is that can you teach me one word in Ogu? Okay, why not? <laughs> that... that a word that has a special meaning for you or a word that you think that it, it conveys something that is important for you? Uh, uh, that's, that's, uh, what should I say about this? Mm, many concepts come to mind. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm having to think very much okay. about this. <laughs> um, 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 um. Yeah, I think there's this song I, I like that I, I really like to sing in Ugo and it's uh Gigum Panawe Uklunoshi Gigum Panawe Gigum Panawe Uklunoshi Gigum Panawe When Gato de Matimbu Soze Yellow Sulogo Gigum Panawe Uklunoshi Gigum Panawe What that simply means is I, I give all glory to God because there's no savior that is more than God like i give him glory wow yeah, awesome great. thank you thank yeah. you for that Emmanuel, and thank you for the thank uh, you so time. much for your time too for your for creating this platform <laughs> and all that like i want to listen to this in 30 years time and probably <laughs> when we are together again somewhere sure yeah. sure i had a blast so thank you thank very you much. so very much it thank was you. good being here <laughs> thank you yeah. Thank you for listening. Just one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the Fortnite podcast in iTunes, Teacher, Google Play, or any other platform of your choice. Go check the fortnite.blog forward slash podcast where you can find this and other episodes with their respective show notes. Leave a comment if you liked the episode and subscribe to the fortnite.blog so that you can receive an email every time a new blog post is up. Thank you once again for being on the other side and talk to you again soon. Bye.